One of the things that is clear when you read the scriptures, beloved, is that God calls men and women. He calls men and women and he sets them apart for his service. And the call of God, you read in the Bible, it came to different people in, in, in differing ways at different times. And there really is no set formula for it. But the way that the Lord God calls his people into his service. I mean, you look at Moses, right? Moses called, I mean, God called Moses in a most miraculous way. Called him up on the a mountain and revealed himself to Moses in a bush. That was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. And then you look at somebody like Samuel. And God called Samuel as a young boy. And Samuel hears somebody calling his name. And he thinks it's the priest, Eli. And he goes to Eli several times and said, did you call me? And Eli says, no, son, I didn't call you. And tells him that you probably need to listen closely for the voice of the Lord. Or you look at somebody like Esther. Now with Esther, there was no burning bush. There was no voice from heaven. There was just her and her cousin Mordecai. Determining that God had called you for such a time as this. Different ways. And the Bible is filled, beloved, with God. Not only saving people, but calling these people into his service. And some of them less or more dramatic than others. <clears throat> and I remember my own sense of calling. I moved to Atlanta from Michigan in the summer of 1990. That seems like a long time ago. 1990. And I came to get a restart, a fresh start on my education and a restart on my life and to get away from all that snow. <laughs> and beloved, it wasn't long before I learned that whatever I had planned, God had other plans. And therefore, I learned quickly that it wasn't Morehouse, but it was to Atlanta Christian College that I would go. And that it wasn't law school, but to seminary that I would be sent. Because when the Lord calls, what often happens, what, when the Lord calls, it usually changes plans. When the Lord calls, it changes plans. I mean, you think about it. Moses was not planning a trip back to Egypt. That was not in the cards. David was not making plans to be king. Mary had no intention on getting pregnant so early. And Paul surely wasn't planning on preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. 
Yet the call of God changes plans. And the reason that the call of God changes plans is because the call of God changes you. You change. You change. Because you see things differently. You see things differently. And this is what happened to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah has one of the most memorable, one of the most dramatic, one of the most impactful calls in all of the Bible. And we see it here in Isaiah chapter 6. As we have seen, that Isaiah was a prophet who the Bible reminds us in chapters 1 through 5, as we have seen, was called by God to prophesy judgment. The judgment upon God, upon the disobedience and the waywardness of Judah and Jerusalem. And this he did. And this he did in, in chapters 1 through 5. He, he laid out the case against Judah. He, he rehearsed the charges, remember, against Jerusalem. And they were guilty. These charges were going to stick. Judah was in the dock. And Isaiah proclaimed, you're guilty. Judgment is coming. And in this sense, Isaiah was God's chief prosecutor in this case. That's the role that Isaiah was playing. As God's chief He was the mouthpiece of heaven. He was the voice of God, bringing the judgment of God to God's people. But how so? I mean, that's the first question I think rightly somebody should have asked. Who are you? Who gave you the right? Who made you prophet? Who gave you the right to speak like that? Who gives you the authority to pronounce judgment? No doubt that was probably the question that some would ask. the question I would have asked. Who do you think you are? Who told you you could talk to me like that? And Isaiah would have stepped up and he would have heard DJ Khaled and he would say, well, God did. God did. God did. And let me tell you how it happened. So that we don't get it twisted. Let me tell you how it happened. God called him. And before, Isaiah understood, before He could speak to the people. He had to hear from God. And God called him. God called Isaiah. And his calling was unique. His calling was dramatic. His calling was amazing. I didn't see what Isaiah saw. I can't speak for you, but I doubt you saw it either. And yet still, 
we looked at his calling, and it is so instructive, beloved. So though as unique and dramatic and amazing as it was, it is instructive to all of us in our callings. Because what God called Isaiah to, in the sense he calls us all to, he not only calls us all to, beloved, he calls us to it this morning. He calls us to it every time we come into the temple. To see what Isaiah saw. To know what Isaiah learned. No, our calling may not be that dramatic and may not be the source of divine revelation. But beloved, it is important this morning because you and I have been called by God. The same God that called Isaiah called you. The same God that called Isaiah has called me. And when God calls us like he called Isaiah, there's a couple of things that are unmistakable, beloved. He called Isaiah to see and know him. And then he called Isaiah to see and know himself. And that's what God calls us to do, beloved. See and know him. And then see and know ourselves. Seeing and knowing God. And seeing and knowing our... You have been called to see God. And then see yourself. When God calls, it involves a change of plans because it involves a change of vision. Whatever vision you had before, when God truly calls, the vision changes. The vision changes. And you see that in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, Right? In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah really respected King Uzziah, as all the nation did. Because Uzziah was a good king. And you can read of his life in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, that Uzziah was a good king. In verse four and verses 4 and 5, it says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 
just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And Uzziah sought the Lord all the days of his reign, and he reigned in Judah 52 years, beloved. A king, a good king on the throne, 52 years. And he brought peace. And he brought prosperity. And you can read all of that in 2, Corinthians, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, that he brought peace and he brought prosperity. And the people loved him. He was a popular king. But in his latter years, his pride got the best of him. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16, the Bible tells us that he overstepped his bounds. His pride caused him to overstep his bounds. And he went in the temple when he shouldn't have and performed what he shouldn't perform. And when confronted, he became angry. And he was struck with leprosy. And Isaiah died. Isaiah died. And his death was a huge blow to the nation. He was popular. He provided security. He provided a sense of certainty. And after his death, the people no doubt wondered, what's next? Who's next? Where do we go from here? His death was a time of mourning and a time of uncertainty. For Judah had looked to their king, and they looked to their king for help. And they looked to their king for hope. And now, where would they look? Where would they turn? And during this time of mourning, Isaiah goes into the temple. And no doubt goes into the temple mourning. Goes into the temple looking for consolation. Looking for the next thing. Looking for the next one. And what did he get? What did he find? What did he see? The Bible says that when he went into the temple, he saw the Lord. He saw the Lord. The king of Judah was dead. Isaiah goes into the temple and he saw the true king. The throne of Judah was empty. Isaiah went into the temple and he saw the real throne. And it was filled. It was full. In the year that King Isaiah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. In the year that he died, I saw the Lord. 
Isaiah's eyes, Isaiah's eyes had been on the tragedy of the nation. The loss of the king. The uncertainty of the times. And his attention, no doubt, was on the circumstances of the world, of this world. And understandably so, beloved, because this world has a way of giving us a sense of hopelessness. It gives us a sense of hopelessness because we look around and things are so hard to figure out. And life rarely goes according to plan. Rarely. Can I get amen? Amen. Rarely goes according to plan. And we easily lose our equilibrium in this world. We easily find our lives out of balance. Why? Because someone dies unexpectedly, throws our whole world upside down. We lose a job. Marriage failure. Friend betrayal. Child goes wayward or lost. Someone gets elected who we think shouldn't be. Your team loses the Super Bowl. Whole world thrown upside down. Lost all you had on DraftKings. <laughs> Say amen, somebody. This was Isaiah. And he was in the temple like many of us. Like many of us come today. Heavy-hearted. Distracted minds. We have minds and hearts on so many things. And God calls us to come into the temple, and when God calls us to come into the temple, whatever is on your heart, whatever is on your mind, God says, Isaiah, look here. What do you see? Look here. What do you see? You see that the Lord is still sovereign. What do you see? You see the Lord is still on his throne. What do you see? You see God is still in control. Look here, Isaiah. Look up here. The Lord our God is always on the throne, beloved. The world around us may look as if it is out of control. It is not. I'm going to say that again. The world around us may look like it is out of control. It is not. Your life may seem like it is running off the rails and out of control. It is not. God says, look up here. Look here. Wars and rumors of wars. God says, look here. Disasters, natural and man-made. God says, look here. Sickness and disease, heartache and death. God says, look here. Look here. The call of God this morning 
And every, every, every time, beloved, that you come into the temple is to take your eyes off the things of the world and get a vision again of heaven. Get a vision of the kingdom of God. God says, look here. Seek first, the Bible says. Matthew 6 and 33. Seek first, seek first, seek first the kingdom of God. In Isaiah 55 and verse 6, the Bible says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Seek the Lord. Look here. Look here. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible tells us to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look here. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look here. Look full into his wonderful face. And things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you would just look here. Look here. That's what Isaiah saw. That's what he saw. He saw the glory of God. God's glory. What Isaiah saw... It's what God calls us to see. He saw that God is great. That God is not just great, beloved, but God is greater. He's greater. Whatever else you think you see, look up here. God is greater. God is greater. He is glorious. And his glory is celebrated. In the heavens, they know it. Isaiah looked up and beheld the glory of God all around the throne of God. Nothing but glory. It filled the entire place. Heaven knows it. And on earth is coming. It's coming. We shade over the glory of God today. We shade over it with our own glory. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 23 that we exchange, quickly exchange the glory of God for a lesser glory of our own. It's what we do all the time, beloved. Human beings do it all the time, exchange the glory of God for a lesser glory of our own. We do it all the time. And we do it best on days like today. Because the best we can do is the Super Bowl. A living, breathing monument to the glory of men. It's what it is. And the halftime show will only be a further display of our eagerness to exchange the glory of God for the lesser glory of our own. Usher will come out there and perform just like Michael Jackson did before him just like Prince did before him, just like you 2 and Beyonce and all the rest of them. 
and millions and millions of us will watch and most will be impressed. But you know who won't be impressed? The angels. The angels are not going to be impressed. Why? Because they know what real glory looks like. They know what real glory is. That God is high and that God is holy. And Isaiah, and Isaiah didn't just see the Lord high and holy. He saw the seraphim. He saw the angels gathered around the throne of God, giving him glory and honor and and praise and worship. An interesting thing, beloved, is that we are not told how many angels he saw. How many seraphim were there gathered up there around the throne? Well, John gives us a glimpse. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11, John said, I saw Thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And God wasn't putting on a halftime show. No, beloved, this was no halftime show. The Bible tells us in in Psalms 9 and 7 that his throne is forever. This is not something that comes and goes with the seasons. This is the glory of God at all times, for all times. This isn't a halftime show, beloved. This is the real deal. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Did you hear what I said? Our God reigns. That's what the Bible tells us over and over again. Psalm 47 and 8 reminds us that our God reigns. Somebody say our God reigns. Our God reigns. That's what the Bible said in Psalm 99 in verse 1. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. And the call of God first is to remember that he is God. And he reigns. He is high. He is holy. He is great. He is God. And therefore, Isaiah, be still and know. I am God. I will be exalted. You look here. That's what the Lord calls us to, beloved. Every Lord's Day, when we walk in here, it is a call. Whatever else you've been seeing, take your eyes off it and behold 
our God reigns. Look here. Our God reigns. Come see and know him. That's the call of God. Seeing and knowing him. And when you see and know him, then you're going to see and know yourself. Isaiah looked up and he saw the Lord high and holy. And looking up led him to looking in. And when he saw the Lord, he said to himself, Woe to me, verse 5. Woe to me, I am ruined. I'm done. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king. He's not talking about Isaiah. I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, and I now see myself. And woe to me. Woe, 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 woe to me. And that's important to know because Isaiah was a preacher of woe. That's what God had called him to do. He had called him to go to Judah and preach, whoa. He was a preacher of woe, the expression of grief, the expression of pain, the expression of sorrow. And Isaiah used this expression over 20 times in his prophecy. Six times he used it in chapter 5. Woe to you, Judah and Jerusalem. Over and over again. For it signaled a, the sorrow of judgment. Woe, judgment is coming. Woe to all those against whom the judgment comes. And this was Isaiah's message. Over and over and over again. Woe, woe, woe. But beloved before he could understand the woe and the judgment of God on others, he had to come to know it for himself. The first woe was upon himself. Woe is me. Woe is me. Seeing the Lord. Isaiah sensed his own unworthiness. His own unworthiness. Judgment is upon me. The grief of judgment is upon me because I am unclean. I have unclean lips. I am unfit for worship. I am unfit for service. I am unfit to be in the presence of God. I am unfit to be used of God. He saw the Lord. He heard the angels. 
And the angels may have been fit for worship, but he wasn't. The angels may have been fit for service, but he wasn't. Because he became aware of the reality of his own sinfulness. He became aware of the reality of his own sinfulness. You know what sin does, beloved? Sin humbles you. When you become aware of your sin and sinfulness, it brings you low, and rightly so. It humbles you. Humility is getting a right view of yourself. That's what humility is. Humility is seeing yourself as God sees you. And that view begins with seeing your own sinfulness in the presence of God. That's Isaiah. He saw himself for what he is, for what he was. And for the first time, he saw, and it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. He says, I am ruined. I am not worthy to be here. I should be silent. I, am, I should be standing afar off. I have no rights or claims to the presence of the Holy One. He saw the angels. He heard the shouts of holiness. And he said to himself and he proclaimed, these hands are not worthy. These, this tongue is not fit. I have not the heart nor the words to express my own unworthiness. And not just me. But I see now that we're all in the same boat. We're all guilty. You know what, beloved? Guilt before God is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Too many times people just don't feel guilty. But guilt before God is not a feeling. It's a reality. David said in Psalm 51 and verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sins are always before me. Those who come to see God know, know, something ain't right here. That's different. And they see themselves. And David says, I know my transgressions and my sins are always before me. This is what Peter saw. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 8, when he saw the glory of Jesus, when he saw Jesus, Peter saw himself. And Peter says, go away from me, Lord, 
I can't do this. I can't do this. I am a sinful man. I can't do this. And not just Peter, and not just David, and not just Isaiah, but God calls us all. God calls us all to come and see him, to come and know him, and in seeing and knowing him, to come and see and know ourselves, and to realize that he's just not talking when he says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, we all have sinned. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God calls us all to know ourselves and to know ourselves as sinners. He calls us all to know ourselves and to know ourselves as sinners. Great sinners. Did you hear what I said? Not just sinners. I'm talking great sinners. However sinful do you think you are, take it up a notch. Great sinners. He calls us to know that we are great sinners so that we might know that he is even a greater savior. Why would you make so much of your sin? Because it makes much more of the greatness of God and his grace. I'm not just a sinner, beloved. I'm a great one. But that's why I have a great Savior. A great Savior. Isaiah was a sinner. And seeing God, he saw himself. He knew he was sinful. But then he came to see that God doesn't just call sinners. God saves them. He calls you into his presence so that he might save you. He calls you to see him so that he would change your vision. And this is what happens. He didn't just call Isaiah to see him. He didn't just call Isaiah to see himself. But once he saw God, and once he saw himself, and you know what the Bible says? Then God dispensed an angel. In verse 6, God dispatched an angel. He dispatched the seraphim. God says, go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah. And the seraphim flew to him with a live coal in his hand, which had been taken with tongues from the altar. And with it, he touched the mouth of Isaiah and said, see, this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. With the touch of the burning coals, 
Isaiah was changed. He was changed. Because that's the point. That's the point of the calling. When God calls you, he doesn't call you to stay the same. He changes the vision. He changes the plans. Because he changes you. How does he change you? He forgives you. He cleanses you. And so Isaiah was washed. He was justified. He was sanctified. He was cleansed. He was changed. You know what, beloved? It wasn't the act itself that mattered. It wasn't the act itself that mattered. The cold can't take away sin. I don't care how hot it is. The cold can't take away sin. The act of the cold, that's too small. That is too little a gesture. In and of itself, all the hot cold can do is to burn his lips. No, beloved. What the angel declared was far more important than what the angel did. All the cold did was touch his lips. But in heaven, God said, you are forgiven. In heaven, God said, you are cleansed. In heaven, God said, your sin is covered. In heaven, God said, your guilt is taken away. In heaven, God said, you are free. Not because you've been touched by coals, but because you have been touched by the work of Christ. Don't get it twisted, beloved. Never get it twisted. It is not the sign that matters. It is the truth that the sign signifies. It is the truth of God behind the sign. Don't get caught up on the coals. It's about Christ. Baptism is not about what you do, beloved. We sin and we call people to the baptismal waters out of obedience to Christ and we call them to it, but we need to be reminded over and over again that baptism is not about what you do. It's about what God says. That now in Christ you are a new creation. That now in Christ, you have been raised to a new life. That now in Christ, you have had your sins washed away. That now in Christ, all things are made new. And beloved, water can't do that. All water does is get you wet. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And he does that by faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's what matters. 
what God says, what God declares. The Lord's table, we do it every week. It is not about what you say or what I do. It's not what it's about. But it's about what Christ has done. It's about the promises that he has made. The promise that he makes to forgive us of our sins and to make us righteous in him. It is about his word to us and promise to keep us. To keep us saved. To keep us safe. Until he comes. Do you know that that little piece of bread and wafer is not going to keep you safe? That grape juice, not even the wine. Not even the wine. Can do that. Only God can. Only God can. And he does that every week, beloved. Every week he does that by faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's why we come. That's why we come. By faith in Christ and Christ alone. And this is the call of God to his people. This is what he calls us. This is what he calls us to do every week. Come. Come and see me. That's what God, come and see me. Look up here and see that I am still on the throne, that I am still in control. Oh, and by the way, look at yourself. Look at yourself. And he calls us to see him, and he calls us to see ourselves. And every week, you ought to see yourself and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Amen. But I'm saved by grace. I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. Let that always, always, beloved, inform your service. Let that always inform your worship. Whatever God calls you to do, however he calls you to serve, always remember I'm a sinner, saved by grace. That's what Isaiah remember. Always leaves that temple being reminded. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. That's what Paul says. First Corinthians 15 and verse 10. I am what I am by the grace of God, a sinner, saved by grace. That's what I am. I do what I do by the grace of God because I am a sinner saved by grace. I am always that. I am always that. That is the key to humility and service. That is the key to worship. That I see God. And in seeing God, I see myself. And what do I see? I am a sinner saved by grace. I am always that. I am never less than that. I am never more than that. But I am always that. Both that. A sinner saved by grace. That's why we sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. 
that saved a wretch like me. I am that. That once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I am that. I am the wretch, but I'm saved by grace. I am the one who was lost, but now I'm found. I am always that. I am always that. That's why we sing, alas, and did my Savior bleed. And did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? I am that. I am always that. And he did devote that sacred head to save this worm. And now I'm precious in his sight. Not because of what I've done, but I am who I am by the grace of God. I do what I do by the grace of God. I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm never less than that, beloved. And I'm never more than that. That is who God calls me to see. I hope you see him this morning. I hope you look up here. Look up, God says. Look up, look up, look up. And see the Lord. High and lifted up. He's still in control, beloved. He's still in control. I don't care who wins the Super Bowl. How much you lose on DraftKings. The Lord is still in control. And see yourself. Oh, it will enhance your worship. It will empower your service. See yourself as a sinner. Unworthy. But saved by grace. Saved and accepted in the beloved by grace. Amen. Let's pray.